Thank you for listening to the podcast of Antioch Church, a Christian community in Bend, Oregon, being formed by the story of a God who is making all things new, including us. You can learn more at antiochchurch.org. Thanks for listening. Well, good morning, Antioch. It is a joy to be with you. I'm going to scoot this up just a little bit. And um, I just want to say thank you for the privilege of being in beautiful Bend, Oregon. My first time to Oregon, and I hope it's not my last. Um, I was sharing with Sean that it almost looks fake, it's so beautiful. Um, If you've come from 45 consecutive days, over 100 in the middle of central Texas, it's as brown as a boot. And so it is a remarkable thing to see not only blue skies and bright sun, but green grass and flowing uh, rivers. So I'm so delighted uh, to be here with you. Uh, Sean is a brother. He's a fellow minister in your midst and a former student. The truth is, is that Sean, as you might imagine, was a fantastic student. And so there were no shenanigans except he uh, was able to answer every question I threw at him with skill and ease. And I'm so pleased to be able to be here to preach for Pastor Pete during his sabbatical. And I look forward to meeting him, even as I look forward to meeting any number of you following this service of worship. The text before us today has been read by Dave. Would you allow me to read it again? And I'm going to extend beyond it uh, just a bit because, as is so often the case in the lectionary passages assigned, uh, they tend to stop and start at awkward places. So I'm going to extend the text just a bit, and I don't think anyone will be hurt. Uh, it's, uh, it, it's, it's really a pretty safe thing to do. So uh, Luke 12, let's listen to and for God's word once again. Not to repeat, but just to reinforce what Dave has already done so beautifully. The Lord Jesus, as he continues his instruction on discipleship, declares... I have come to bring fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo, and what constraint I am under until is completed. Do you think that I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other, three against two, and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. And that's a lot of against. (laughs) He said to the crowd, when you see a cloud rising in the west, get the picture over the Mediterranean and you immediately say, it is going to rain and it does. And when the south wind blows, get the picture from the Negev, and you say, it's going to be hot, and it is. Hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky. How is it that you do not know how to interpret this present time? 
Why do you not judge yourselves what is right? As you are going with your adversary to the magistrate, try hard to be reconciled on the way. Or your adversary may drag you off to the judge and the judge turn you over to the officer and the officer throw you into prison. And I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. It has been said that scripture is meant to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. Well, the latter is in play today. This passage begins, does it not, with Jesus declaring the purpose of his ministry and mission. He says that I have come. Elsewhere he says I've come to bring life and life more abundant. Here he says I've come to bring fire on the earth. And he does so by saying that he wished that it were already kindled. As those who are all too familiar with fire, wildfires. I understand they've not come your way this year because you had a large snow over the winter. Uh, that's a good thing. Because with those who are familiar with fire, you know that fire is fascinating. I mean, we learned this, don't we, with uh, Tom Hanks in uh, Castaway. Uh, we can be fascinated uh, with fire. It's that which can both cook and burn, heat and kill. Here, fire signals, doesn't it, purification. It's the refiner's fire. Simultaneously, it seems to be suggesting judgment here. Earlier in the Gospel of Luke, you might remember as John the Baptist's ministry was being described and his teaching was being summarized. He speaks of the Messiah to come. He himself says, I'm not the Messiah. In fact, he says, having stooped down, I am not worthy to untie his sandals. It is of this one, however, that he says, I baptize you with or perhaps uh, in water. But one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Watch this. He will baptize you with or in the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into the barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. It's as if though forewarned is forearmed. So much for the image of Jesus, gentle Jesus, meek and mild. It is interesting, isn't it? The way that we perceive God, the way that we perceive Christ, is the way that we will respond to God, the way that we will respond to Christ. Scripture says, does it not, that our God is an all-consuming Fire. You may remember that Moses himself, as he senses the call, 
He's in the desert and he sees a bush that burns, but it is not consumed. And in the midst of this burning bush experience in the desert, it is where Moses himself is called by the one who says that I am who I will be. Jesus says that his ministry is a ministry whereby he is engaged in bringing fire on the earth. He says, would that it would kindle into flame, would that this spark would be a conflagration. But he says, at present, he has a baptism to undergo. We know early in his ministry that Jesus himself was baptized in the River Jordan even as others were being baptized. Not to remove sin, but to identify with the ministry of John the Baptist and those of us who are sinners. All we like sheep have gone astray. But the baptism of which Jesus speaks here is not a literal one. It is a figurative one. It is the baptism of his death, his crucifixion. You might remember in Mark's gospel where James and John straddle up alongside Jesus and they say, can we sit at either side of you in glory? Jesus says, are you able to drink the cup that I drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism in which and with which I'm baptized? And they glibly say, well, of course we are. Jesus said, okay, you will be. You will drink the dregs. You will be plunged into the watery grave. But as far as heavenly seating assignments, they're not mine to pass out. One other and higher than I has determined these well in advance. Recall then the others, the ten, were told in Mark's gospel that they were indignant. They were white hot mad, hacked off. You know why? Not because that which James and John did was absolutely out of spiritual bounds. But it's because they beat him to the punch. It's because had they known that they were going to make this kind of request, they would have beaten a path to Jesus first. And Jesus said to them, even as he says to us, your notion of what the kingdom is, is a mistaken notion. It's not about the will to power. It's not about... This, uh, uh, this uh, Frederick kind of Nietzsche approach that says the, the, the one with the most toys wins, the one who has the greatest power, the one who accrues the most wins the day. Jesus says that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And watch this. To give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus' destiny is wrapped up in his giving his life as 
a ransom for many. This is the baptism of which Jesus speaks. So having spoken of his mission in terms of fire and his death in terms of baptism, Jesus now proceeds to ask three probing questions. It has been wondered if questions tell us more than answers ever do. I'm not so sure they do, but I am sure of this. In the midst of his ministry, Jesus asks a lot of questions. Frequently, when he is asked a question, he'll respond with a question. Here, the first question that Jesus poses is this. Do you think that I came to bring peace on earth? Well, a careful reader of Luke's gospel can be forgiven if they would answer that question, yes. (laughs) Because even from the Gloria in excelsis Deo, peace on earth with those among whom he's well pleased. But here we see that Jesus says that I've not come to bring peace peace, I've come to bring division. How do you figure? Jesus? Well, families are divided because the gospel is a scandal. It's a stone that makes people stumble. It's a rock that makes people fall. At this point, Jesus is being relentlessly realistic. And you don't need to know of the early church's stories to know in your own life. There are families that are fractured by the gospel. Some embrace his grace. Others decide to stiff arm the Savior. In earliest Christianity, you will recall that the hope is that families would believe as a whole. But that didn't always happen. Recall, for example, Paul saying to the Corinthian Christians, those who are married to an unbelieving spouse, don't send the unbelieving spouse away. How do you know? Uh, It may well be that they will come to faith too because the gospel can be a contagion. And by your presence in their lives, they may encounter the grace of God. So, yes, peace is the ideal, but division is the ordeal. And as long as people reject the gospel, Division will follow. This is the first question. Do you think that I came to bring peace? The second found in verse 56 is this. Do you not know how to interpret the present time? Do you not know how to interpret the present time? Jesus said, you're good meteorologist. (laughs) By the way, I wish I were a meteorologist. I've never known a job where you can miss so much and still be employed. (laughs) 
You, you see the clouds forming over the Mediterranean? You know that it's going to rain. It doesn't rain very much, but when you see those storm clouds forming, the late rains, the early rains, you know you're coming, they're coming your way. Not unlike Elijah did that day on Mount Carmel. And you say, when there is a warm wind a-blowing from the south, up from the Negev, that it's about to get white hot. So how is it? Jesus wonders. He calls them hypocrites. That you can't judge the time. You see, Jesus was not speaking about tick-tock time. He was speaking of its high time that you recognize that it's the fullness of time. Jesus, early in the Gospel of Mark, as he comes out of the sacred shoot, so to speak, declares the time has come. The kingdom of God has drawn near. Repent and believe the good news. The Apostle Paul can say to the Galatian Christians, in the fullness of time God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, that he might redeem us from the curse of the law. So what time is it? It is the fullness of time. God sent forth his son. Why can't you see that? A third and final question that Jesus puts to them and by way of extension to us. Why can you not judge for yourselves what is right? You who are so inclined to judge... You who are so inclined to see the speck in the eye of another when you can't see the pole protruding from your own eye. How is it that you cannot judge what is right? And Jesus enjoins those who listen here, even as he does in the so-called Sermon on the Mount, to keep relationships reconciled. So that at the end of the day, you don't need a judge and a jury to intervene. That you can have right relationships, not only with God, but also with one another. Now, Texans are known for their honesty. I'm a Texan. I was born in Hard Scrabble, Texas, right on the Texas-Oklahoma border in a place called Wichita Falls. Wichita Falls has very few things about which to boast except the most extreme temperatures in the United States. They can boast that it's hotter than anywhere else. I'm telling you the gospel truth if I tell you that they have a bicycle race called, I'm quoting, the Hotter in Hell 100, okay? And I am also telling you the truth when I remember growing up that it was nothing for there to be feet of snow and the temperature in the single digits. So Texans are straight talkers, and so here's the truth. I'm not exactly sure how I got invited to Oregon to preach this tough text. 
<laughs> I, I mean, uh, the, the, the thing about the lectionary is it's no respecter of persons or preachers. The lot fell to me. But I'm not joking when I say that this is a difficult text. And we're going to do the best we can now to appropriate it, to apply it, to take it away. Because it's not enough simply to explain the text. We now need to try to apply it. So how might we? Well, first of all, we need to recognize and receive Jesus as Messiah, the Prince of Peace. You see, rejection brings division in one's life, in one's family. It was never, ever the divine design that three would be against two and two against three, that father would be against son and son against father and mother against daughter and daughter against mother and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law and mother-in-law against daughter-in-law. That was never, ever what God wanted. In fact, even as Jesus says, the two shall become one flesh, the way marital math works is one plus one equals one. And it's always God's plan that we would be one with God and one with another. So the division that rocks our families and the polarization that rocks our nation was never really what God wanted. So we need to recognize and receive Jesus is Messiah, Prince of Peace. We do well not to get our theology from bumper stickers. But there's one bumper sticker that gets it just right. N-O Jesus, N-O peace. K-N-O-W Jesus, K-N-O-W peace. Recognize and receive Jesus, this text says. Repent of one's sins, not least the sins of pride and pretense. It's refreshing to hear a fellowship take time to confess sin to God, not only collectively, but individually. We do well to say, like the psalmist of old, against you, and only you have I sinned. The text that follows on immediately after this text is not the text which will be preached by Sean next week. The text that will be preached by Sean next week is uh, chapter 13, verses 10 and the following. But in 13, particularly 13.3, it says, unless you repent you too will perish. 13.5, unless you repent, you too will perish. But you know what? 2 Peter chapter 3 tells us that it is the divine design, it's the holy hope that none would perish, that all 
would come to repentance because the Lord is not slow about keeping his promises as some count slowness. For God, a thousand years is but a day and a day is but a thousand years because God does not do time by Timex or even Rolex. God is above time, beyond time because God is not the great I was God is the great I am, the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end before and after and at all points in between. And God wants more than anything for us to be, that's right, reconciled. This is the third takeaway. God wants us to enjoy reconciled relationships with Christ and with one another. As I was poking around on your website before I ever came your way, and even in the seat back in front of you, you're reminded afresh that the vision and the mission of Antioch, simply stated, is the reconciliation of all things. To partner, your mission says, with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in the formation of disciples who are being restored to God themselves and one another, joining God on his mission in our city, around the world, and with the rest of creation. So this text teaches that we need to pursue Restored relations, yes, with God, through Christ, and with one another. One can know peace. Peace with God. Peace with the Lord Jesus Christ. We do so by pursuing peace. What will it take to keep you from Jesus, Michael Card once wondered? keep you from heeding his call. A simple excuse of a heart that is hard, a reason that's nothing at all. Lord, we're grateful for your goodness to us. We're grateful, Christ, that you are a consuming fire refiner's fire, burn up the dross. May we be as fine gold and precious silver. Press us more fully into your image and likeness that we might know you and that we might make you known. Thank you, God, for your grace that we enjoy even as we remember Jesus crucified, his body broken, his blood spilt so that we might be reconciled to you who love us and gave yourself for us. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Pastor Sean.